The song is a really great uh, summary of this week for, for me, for my family, and hopefully for you as well. Jesus, thank you. And some of you, even this week, can say, I was once, maybe even at the beginning of this week, your enemy. Now I'm seated at your table, and wow, do you have something to be thankful for. Jesus, thank you. It's been a great last full day here at IRBC, hasn't it? Can we praise the Lord for that? I've got a couple uh, snapshots of today in my mind that just kind of encapsulate uh, just the memories from today. The one is my friend Cowboy Ivan jumping across the golf cart to, uh, <laughs> to, to hit Charlie Carter with a pool noodle. Uh, really funny, that's some good stuff. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, also, my friend uh, Jackson Burkhardt caught a fish down at the, at the lake today. Now, Jackson, Jackson's one of the guys that gave me the fishing pole and the lures last night, and so today he's using them down at the dock, and he's, you know, he's catching, fish, he's catching seaweed down there, and uh, he pulled up a fish, and then for dinner, you ate it, didn't you? That's amazing. I mean, he was the guy. I mean, he could survive in the wild on his own. He's catching fish and eating them. Speaking of dinner, that basically is my like dream dinner: pizza followed by ice cream. Oh my goodness! Wow, watermelon. Hey, you guys brought out the new wine at the end of the week. I just appreciate that. It's like the miracle at Cana. You know, a lot of camps would do that at the beginning of the week, and then things go downhill. But not you guys. Just trying to be more like Jesus, bringing out the best stuff at the end. Not that there was wine at all involved in this week, but I want to encourage you tonight uh, with a really amazing passage of scripture. And here's my goal as you get ready to head back to face the world outside of this place. I just want you to be encouraged. I just want you to walk away from here saying, Jesus, thank you. Like we just sang, I really just want you to kind of get that in your mind and to look at scripture and to take everything that God has placed on your heart this week and just be able to get out there back to wherever you're going and say, Jesus, thank you. I want to live for you. So here's where we're going. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be quick. We'll be out before midnight tonight. I promise you that. All right, Lord willing. So, uh, so grab your Bibles, grab something to write with and uh, check this picture out. I think we got a picture up here, Noah, of uh, of our, of our dog. This is our. <laughs> none, of, none of you expected that at all. That's amazing. So, she's a she's a ten pound Yorkie, and uh, Meredith describes her as aggressively affectionate. And here's here she is uh, in a Jeep ride that we took a couple months ago with a friend that loaned us their Jeep for a day. But um, this dog, Maisie, her name's Maisie. She's never met anybody that she couldn't force into loving her. Like that's what she does, right? And don't tell her I said this. Um, most of you never meet her at all. But she's actually a pretty good dog. Except here's one thing that she probably needs to change. She thinks she's a human. She thinks... She's a human. Here's what I mean. She's picky with her food, right? It better be like wet food out of a can or else you are getting the stink eye from the dog, right? It's no good. She'll go for a walk with you, but when she gets tired, you have to pick her up because her fragile paws, like she just can't even. She makes you 
pick her up and you walk her home in your arms. <laughs> her favorite place to sleep is on my side of the bed, and I'm not joking you, she puts her head on my pillow like right next to me as I lay down, right? I know that's disturbing. I know it. I know it. True confessions here. I get it. And now, listen, I'm not joking when I say this. She absolutely, she loves hugs, okay? So after a long day of like barking at the UPS man or squeaking her tennis ball or chasing her own tail around, she'll climb up onto the couch or wherever we're sitting and she'll put her two paws just like this up on your shoulder and she'll put her little head right underneath your chin and just sigh. And what you, she's just asking for a hug, right? Here's the problem. She's a dog. She's not a human. She's like, you guys are so lucky to have me. <laughs> Listen, when a dog acts like a dog, it's great. That's what God created it to be. But when a dog forgets its true identity and starts acting like a human, now we've got some problems. Okay, Noah, you can take that down or else we're going nowhere tonight, right? <laughs> so sometimes I look at my dog, Maisie, our dog, Maisie, and I'm like, hey, dog, remember who you are. You're a dog. Now, I realize trying to reason with my dog puts me in like the crazy category for some of you, but those of you with pets get it, and parents with young children also get it. <laughs> Actually, I remember my father saying the exact same thing to me almost every day when I was a kid. I can, I can still picture my family standing in the entryway of our little home before we left for school. My dad, my mom, myself, and my three younger siblings. We'd circle up and my dad or my mom would pray. And then just as we walked out the door to school, my dad would say, hey. And I'd turn around and he'd say, remember who you are. You're a Christian and you're a Jackson. Now watch this. I think there's a lesson here for us to learn this evening. As followers of Jesus, sometimes it's easy to forget who we are, to act in a way that doesn't line up with our true identity, or to begin to believe the lies that label us. And some of you know exactly what this is like because you've allowed other people to define who you are. Maybe you've got a teacher who told you you're not smart enough, or you've got a coach that made you think you weren't good enough. Or maybe you even have a parent that reminds you that you were the child that they never wanted. Or a friend that betrays you because you're not popular enough anymore. You see, maybe you're understanding this because you have believed the lies that Satan tells you most of the time in your own voice. That's how he speaks to us most of the time. And he lies to us and he tells us, you're a failure, you're a mistake, you're worthless, you're unlovable, you're a burden, you're stupid, you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're unwanted. And I don't know what it is for you, but my guess is that you can identify that lie in your life pretty easily. When Judah was born, about nine years ago, the doctor looked at us. I remember in that moment, he looked at us and he said, what are you going to name him? Now listen, how strange would that have been if I looked back at him and I said, I don't know, Doc, what do you want to name him? That's crazy, right? Because nobody in that room except for daddy and mommy get the privilege of naming that child. If you're a Christian, and you might not be a Christian here yet, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear something here on our last evening together. You are not defined 
by your abilities, your family heritage, the kind of clothes you wear, what school you go to, the size of your family's house, your zip code, your anxiety, or any other label that the devil or the world tries to put on you. We just sang about it. My worth is not in what I own or any of that stuff. I'm not defined by that. And here's what it is. Nobody but your creator gets to name you. You are who God says you are. He created you. He's the one that gets to name you. So write that down. You are who God says you are. And that's really been one of the themes this week because we are searching for this abundant life and and sometimes we search for abundant life and meaning in a whole bunch of different things. But the truth is the only place we'll really ever find true life is in Christ. So who am I really? We have to find that in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, write it down because it's really an important one, especially to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. In fact, the Apostle Paul uses that term, in Christ, 164 times in his writing in the New Testament and 27 times just in the letter to the Ephesians. Why is this idea of being in Christ one of Paul's favorites? Why not just with Christ, which he does use sometimes? In fact, being with Christ would be a pretty amazing privilege, wouldn't it be? Alongside him, sort of partnering with him, next to him, sensing his presence and his power at all times. If that's where it ended, just being with Christ, that would still be a pretty sweet gig, right? With Christ. But God doesn't stop there. He puts us in Christ, not just next to Christ, not just holding on to him, but actually joined to Jesus, held so tight that there's no distinguishing where Jesus ends and you begin. If you're a believer, you are strapped in, held safe, kept secure, joined together in Christ. Okay, so what's the big difference? You might say, it doesn't seem like there's a big difference there. It sort of seems like you're splitting hairs, right? In Christ, with Christ, does it really matter? Okay, think about it this way. We rode jet skis on Monday. Some of you guys were out there today. I saw you doing all kinds of twists and turns and illegal stuff on the jet skis. My nephew Keaton got behind me on the jet ski and, and I drove. But the thing about jet skis is that there's no seat belts, right? So Keaton over here, he has to hold on tight to Uncle Jason. Keaton is riding with me. And even though it's a ton of fun, the passenger, Keaton, could theoretically jump off the jet ski or even fall off, like a lot of you did on the jumbo dog and on the tubes and stuff like that this week, because you're with the driver. Now here's, on the other hand, think about the zip line. How many of you did the zip line this week? Yeah. The zip line is a whole different story, isn't it? You'll pull that harness up and then they tighten that thing up around you and makes you wish you didn't have that last Mountain Dew, right? Because now you have got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but there's no mistaking it. You are in the harness. Not with the harness, you're in the harness. And then once they clip that thing to the actual zip line cable, you know you're in. You couldn't get out if you tried. No matter how many twists and turns and spins you do on that thing, you are in that harness. When it goes, you go. When it stops at the bottom, you stop. 
When people see you, they see the zip line and vice versa. They're looking at the zip line, they see you going wee all the way down. You can't separate you and the harness. You can't separate it because you are in it. There's no wiggle room and that's exactly what you want. Nobody looks at a zip line and says, oh good, it's a thousand feet in the air and I'm responsible to hold on or else I die. That's not safe, insurance doesn't cover that kind of stuff, right? You want to be in the harness. Locked in, held safe, kept secure, and joined together. That's what you want. And here's what we know. When it comes to zip lines and it comes to our relationship with Christ, it's good to be in, in Christ. And that's what we find in Ephesians chapter one. Verses three through 14 are this super long sentence that Paul writes to remind Christians of all the amazing gifts that they have because they are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you became a Christian this week, you look through that passage, verses three through 14 in Ephesians chapter one, and you circle or underline all those incredible gifts that you now have because you're in Christ. You're gonna find things like blessed. You're gonna see things like loved, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. You have been given an inheritance because you are in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your true identity. Wrapped up, joined together, and held tight in Christ. Say it with me. In Christ. In Christ. That's an important phrase. What difference does all of that make for you and me? It's the last day of camp and you've had a full week. You already can't wait to come back next year, but you're going to go home and all of a sudden the reality is going to hit. And you're going to need to hold on to what you've learned here and this is what I want you to leave with during our last time together. And it may be the most important thing you hear from me all week. Here it is, write it down. When God sees you, he sees you. Jesus. In fact, personalize it as you write it down. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. See how God identifies you if you're a Christian here this evening. Verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here's the first way God identifies you today. You saw it in that passage. In Christ we are adopted. If you are in Christ, you are adopted. If you're a Christian here, if you gave your life to Jesus, you are adopted Paul says in verse 5, in love, God the Father predestined us. That's a long word that means before the beginning of time, God laid out our path. And here's what he laid out our path to be, to be adopted into his family. In Christ, we become children of God, and he shows himself as our great father. And so when Paul tells us that we're adopted, he's making an incredible statement. God chose us. We were orphans without him, and he brought us into his family with all the rights of natural-born kids. 
See, without God, we didn't have a chance, but God gave us a future. We didn't have to earn our adoption, though. There wasn't anything that we could do, and yet God gives us all the privileges of his own, capital S, Son, Jesus. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are in Christ, so when God sees you, he sees Jesus. I'm amazed by that truth. The God of this universe considers me his son, his child. He's adopted me into his family with all the privileges and with all the rights of his only begotten son, Jesus. And guys, I wish that I could tell you that I live as though I believe that all the time. But I don't. And I sometimes look at myself and my own sin and my pride, and my arrogance, my people-pleasing, my fear, my selfishness, my critical spirit, that's just in the last two hours. And I think after all I've done, there's no way Father God could really love me the way he loves his son, Jesus. Ever wonder that? Can you really love me, God? Remember the woman at the well from Tuesday night? That was her story, wasn't it? God knows who you really are, and he loves you anyway. Okay, all this is incredible, you might say, but I still don't understand why God would do such a thing for me. But Paul answers that question in the next two phrases. Look again at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. How does he say it? According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So why, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, why did God adopt you and me into his family? Here it is very simply, for his purpose and his praise. If you are in Christ, you've been brought into the family of God because it fulfills God's purposes for your life and for the world. Now think about that for just a second. Your salvation, your personal salvation, it's not a fluke or an oopsie or something that slipped through the cracks. God planned it. He purposed it. And God gets the praise for it. If you are a Christian, you need to sing that song, Jesus, thank you, at the top of your lungs because God predestined you to adoption for his purpose and according to his glorious praise. We get to say, Jesus, thank you. So see that word grace there in verse 6? You got it there? That's an important word. It's usually a noun. And in Ephesians, it usually carries this idea of God's love for all people. Or Christ's saving work on the cross, kind of like the gospel. But here Paul uses grace as a verb. It's sort of like graced, right? So he kind of makes up a word, kind of like the word bejeweled <laughs> or bedazzled, like some of you have like on your phones, which of course don't have with you right now, or maybe even your jeans or your, if you're a country music fan on the back of your denim jacket, right? You bejeweled all those things. God begraced us, Paul says, with everything that we need to live like God wants us to. Paul says there's so much of God's grace in this whole process of being in Christ that it's almost as if it cannot be contained. It's glorious, it's awesome, it's full and overflowing, spilling all over us, just like this abundant life that Jesus has come to give us in John 10.10. And it's this grace that God has blessed us with in Christ. And so where do we find this grace? Yes, you guessed it, in Jesus Christ, in God. God's beloved son. That's how we have access to this grace through God's son, Jesus. And this phrase in verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. It's sort of a little bit hard to translate from Paul's original writing and that's sort of understandable, right? 
I mean, Paul is like just gushing with this amazing doxology here in verses three all the way through 14. This long run-on sentence is over 200 words. And Paul's not trying to win any grammar awards here. So this specific phrase gets translated in a few different ways. But here's the idea behind what Paul is getting at in this phrase. In Christ, we are accepted. First, we are adopted, and next, we are accepted. And here's how this works. Because of God's grace, his totally unearned favor that we get, and through the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus, you and I are adopted by God and then accepted by God. If you're in Christ, God no longer labels you as an outsider. You are accepted. He sees you as he sees his son. When God sees me, he sees Jesus. I grew up as a missionary kid in South Africa. I left the States with my family when I was two years old and came back as a junior in high school. We only came back to the States once every three or four years as I was growing up. I loved traveling and visiting family and friends when we came back, but there was always a part of me that didn't feel like I fit in, right? I didn't really fit in here. I didn't really feel like I fit in in South Africa. In South Africa, I was the weird American, and when I was here in the U.S., I was the weird missionary kid, right? So I was kind of not fitting in anywhere. Explains a lot about why I am the way I am today. Anyway, some of the toughest places to fit in were the supporting churches that we visited when we came back to the States on furlough. And honestly, because on Sunday mornings, my dad would preach and my mom would teach the kids classes and my job was to switch the carousels on the slide projector. <laughs> Google it, all right, when you get home or ask Pastor Phil, he was around in those days. When it came time for youth group, I felt like an outsider. Everybody already had their crew, their friends, their inside jokes and I didn't fit in. Now, I remember one weekend when we were visiting the church where my cousins went, and we showed up before they did by just a couple minutes, and I made my way downstairs to the church basement, which is where the teenagers meet in every church, it seems, and I stood in the doorway while all these teenagers talked, and they laughed, and they were in this like giant mob in the middle of the room, and I was on the outside. I didn't know any of them. I stood there for what seemed like forever until I felt a tap on my shoulder, I turned around, and there was my cousin, Aaron. And he was my age, and I thought he was pretty much the raddest guy ever. Even had rollerblades, which at that point were really awesome. <laughs> he pulled me by the arm over to the group of teenagers that were in the middle of the room, and they all seemed to turn toward him at the same time. I still remember this. And then every one of them shifted their eyes onto me. They looked from my cousin, Aaron, to me. And one of the older guys steps towards me and he says, hey, who are you? And I stammered something about, uh, we're visiting this weekend, my dad's preaching, I'm the slide carousel guy. And Aaron interrupts me. He put his arms around me, his right arm around me, and he looks at the circle of teenagers and he says, hey, don't worry, he's cool, he's with me. Now, I'm not cool, okay? But at that moment, I was cool because I was with my cousin Aaron. 
and suddenly everything changed. Guys were like slapping me on the back and we were laughing together and I got invited over to one of their homes after church. I felt like a kid that didn't fit in anywhere and this was amazing. How did that happen? How was it that those kids suddenly invited me into their circle? What did I do to earn their acceptance? Nothing, I didn't do anything. I was so uncool. I hadn't changed anything about myself. I didn't work for it, angle for it, try to debate for it, try to pay for it. My acceptance into the group was completely based on my cousin's acceptance. Because he was accepted by them, I was then accepted by them. Because they accepted him and I was in his family, I was accepted. You might say that those teenagers saw me and they they saw my cousin. And because he was in, I was in. And I'm guessing that something like that's happened to you too. You felt like an outsider, like you didn't fit in, or like you have to earn your place at the table. And I get it, our culture says that you've got to work for everything that you have, right? But here's the problem with that. Our tendency is to think that we have to earn our acceptance by God in the same way. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're in Christ this evening, you're already accepted by God. In fact, you can't do anything to be accepted anymore. It's as if Jesus has put his arm around you, pulled you close and said, it's okay, he's with me. It's okay, she's a part of my family, she's cool. And God looks at you and accepts you in the same way that he accepts his own son. You're adopted, you're accepted. If you're in Christ, you've been adopted. You're no longer an orphan. You're a child of God and you're accepted. You don't have to stand on the outside looking in. You belong. Why? Because when God sees you, he sees Jesus. How in the world is this possible? How can this be? Because of the song, the truth in the song that we just sang. I'm accepted because you were condemned. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. We are accepted because he was condemned. Jesus died for us. That's the only reason why we can be adopted into God's family and accepted by him into his family. It's only possible for you and me to enjoy all these amazing gifts that we have in Ephesians 1 of being in Christ because of Christ's sacrifice. And that's what gifts are though, right? Something wonderful for someone purchased by someone else who loves them. You don't earn them, you don't pay for them, they're given to you by someone else. Someone had to earn them, but not you. And so how do we respond to gifts? We say thank you. We're grateful. We honor the giver. And so when it comes to the greatest gift ever, the opportunity to be in Christ with a brand new identity, a brand new family, a brand new name, a new community, a new path. How are you gonna respond to all of that? Have you accepted the gift of adoption into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ? It's Friday night. You've been hearing us talk about this every single 
day. In your one-on-ones, in your counselor conversations, in your cabin, with the contenders, with Charlie in the morning, with the springboard crew here in the evenings, in our songs? Have you accepted the gift of salvation, adoption into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins and placed your hope and trust completely in the person of Jesus? Do you have a personal father-son relationship with God, or are you still an orphan? The Father's arms are open for you today. Run to Him and discover your heavenly Father. You've been adopted into His family if you're in Christ. Or maybe you're still on the outside here this morning trying to be accepted by the world around you. I want to tell you, junior higher, don't stay there. Jesus wants to put his arm around you even tonight and say, he's with me. He's in. Are you in? Most days during the school year, I get to drop Judah off at school just before 8 o'clock in the morning. And just before he runs into the building... He turns around and looks at me, and I look at him, and just like my dad used to tell me, I tell him, hey, buddy, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And today, I want to encourage you to remember who you are. If you're in Christ, if you're a true believer, when God looks at you, this is absolutely amazing. When he looks at you, He sees Jesus. Yesterday, I heard a story of one of our campers here this week who was adopted a couple years ago. And he's here this week because his adopted family sent him to camp, allowed him to come to camp this week. And earlier this week, he prayed to accept Jesus as his personal Savior, this camper. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? And his, his response was this, if I hadn't been adopted, I wouldn't be at camp. And if I wasn't at camp this week, I wouldn't have gotten saved this week. Isn't it amazing to be adopted? Isn't it great to be in? If you're in Christ, you've been adopted. You've been accepted. Some of you are going to go home to friends, neighbors, teammates, even families that think that they get to define you, that they get to label you, that they get to tell you who you really are or who you really should be. I want to tell you tonight, they don't get to do that. They don't get to do that. The world doesn't get to define who you are. Only your creator gets to name you. Don't let anyone else do that. Don't let them. Don't let the world label you. And Christian here tonight, remember who you are. You've been adopted into God's family. You've got the same family name, the same family privileges, and the same father as Jesus Christ himself. That's what the abundant life is all about. You're going to live every day knowing who Jesus really is. You're going to remember that God loves you no matter what you've done. You're going to be satisfied by everything Jesus is to you instead of chasing after satisfaction in the world. And you're going to say no. No to sin by walking with the Spirit and clinging to the Word of God. And junior higher, you're going to remember who you are. You are a child of God, and you're living the abundant life. And guess what? No one can ever take that from you. 
Lord, thank you for junior high camp 2022. Thank you so much. What a week it's been, God. Young men and women giving their lives to you in salvation, saying, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came to be born and to live a perfect life and as a perfect sinless sacrifice to pay the penalty for my sin on the cross and then not to stay dead but to be resurrected three days later proving that he has victory over sin and death and giving us that victory as well. Young men and women have put their faith and trust into that Jesus this week. And God, I thank you for those that have committed to being in your word, to clinging to your word, memorizing scripture maybe, to getting up in the morning and spending time in your word before anything else. To walk in the spirit, to be discerning, to grow in maturity, to be more like your son Jesus every single day. And Lord, tonight I would ask that you would cause us that are in Christ to remember who we are. God, I can't imagine being a junior higher in this world today. So many pressures, so many people telling you who you are and what you should be. Satan lying day after day, moment after moment, saying you're a failure, you're dumb, you're not good enough, you're unwanted, you're helpless, you're hopeless. Being identified by our sicknesses or our weaknesses or our anxieties or whatever it is, Lord. And I pray that we would walk out of this camp this week knowing that nobody but our Creator gets to define us, gets to identify us, gets to name us. And if we're in Christ, Lord, then you have named us your son, your daughter. We're a child of the King. We're a child of the Creator. And we walk out of here victorious, living that abundant life, the full and overflowing John 10, 10 kind of life. Lord, because you said the thief has come to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus has come that we might have that kind of abundant life. I pray that you would rise up, raise up a generation of junior hires, some who are in this room, Lord, today, who are going to change the world for you because of you, because they're in Christ. That they would make more people more like Jesus here in Iowa and all over the world, starting tonight, starting tomorrow on the way home, starting Sunday morning and Monday morning and Tuesday morning and starting this fall in school that they would be different because you have made them different. Thanks that it's not dependent on us. That it's all you. And we say thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us so that we might live for you.